like a fairy tale, really, because we had become such good friends and everybody would tell me, hey, you need to date him. I was like, no, he's really not that into me. And then one night I had, I was in my wild phase and I had just bought this brand new sports car. It's an Audi TT. I don't, you probably don't even know what that is, but it's a little sports car. I had a minivan. <laughs> and then I bought my second car, which was this little sports car. And I remember that day as if it was yesterday, a girlfriend of mine had bought this condo in Midtown, which was just absolutely beautiful. It was hip and trendy. It was these women that were all 30 something professionals. You know, we were, they had invited me to come over to have this house room. Well, I went, I hadn't had anything to eat all day and they were having all these signature drinks. And the next thing you know, Hello and hola friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome, bienvenidos. Need access to cash at fair rates? Doc to Doc Lending believes that when debt can be avoided, it should be. They also realize, however, that sometimes borrowing is necessary to help doctors overcome short-term cash issues to improve long-term personal financial health. Founded and led by fellow doctors, all of whom started out as cash-strapped residents, Doc to Doc Lending exists not only to meet doctors in their moments of need, but to do so in a way that assesses and appreciates each doctor borrower as only fellow physicians can. Apply for the loan you need with doc to doc lending at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash doc to doc that's drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash doc the number two doc and before i introduce the beautiful dr Mileni argo onto my show i would just like to let you know that if you are having a little fear of missing out or a little bit upset, sad that maybe you didn't join my Women Physicians Group Coaching course this time around, which we started one week ago, it's okay. I still have some one-on-one spots available for coaching. So go to my website, medicinemarriageandmoney.com and sign up for a free consult and you could have the opportunity to change your life, transform your relationships, enhance your marriage. I would love to hear from you. And now for our guest on today's show. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. Mileni Argo. Dr. Mileni is a board-certified internist and physician coach. She is also the loving wife to her husband, Eric, and the supportive mother of two young men. Yay! Thanks for coming on my show! Woohoo! Hey, 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 hey. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. It seems like it was forever ago that we talked about me coming on. This is really exciting for me. Yeah, I know. Well, because you work so many hours and it's hard to, it's hard to get a time slot with you. And you're also, you know what, believe it or not, I think you're the first physician, a Latina physician that I have interviewed. Woohoo! I love being first. Yeah, I mean, I pretty, I've been pretty diverse. I've interviewed lots of different cultures, but so funny, I have not that I can remember interviewed another fellow Latina. So welcome. 
Bienvenidas, bienvenida. Bienvenida, gracias, gracias. I'm excited to be here. So before we talk about your relationships with your current husband, your past husband, and your mother, let's talk about your definition of marital interdependence. In other words, what makes a successful marriage? I believe that what makes a successful marriage is being friends first, having open communication and intimacy. Those three things I think are absolutely key in a loving, lasting relationship. Oh, I love it. Okay, so being friends, having open communication, and an intimacy. Okay, now let's tell us. So tell us a little bit about Eric. How long have you guys been together? Where did you meet? How did it happen? It's really an interesting story. Eric and I have been, we've been married for 17 years and we met at the gym at the hospital. Eric was a personal trainer and he was helping to run the gym at the hospital where I had my first job. And he came, he came up to me one day and asked me if I needed some help with a weight machine. And then I asked him, I said, Hey, do you train people? He said, yeah, I do all the time. So we became, I became his client and that's how we met. Oh my God. Wait, which hospital has a gym in it? This was Atlanta Medical Center, you know, like the wellness center. Oh, the wellness center. Okay. So is it like a separate building? Yes, it was a separate building. Okay. So he became your trainer. That is pretty intimate right there. Yeah. Really intimate. Yeah. And so how did you fall in love with him? Like, how, how did you know he was the one? How did he know you were the one? Well, we had been, I'd been divorced and I'd been divorced for about a year and we started working out together and we would work out two to three days a week. And I took up running. And so part of our workout would be, I would, we would lift weights and he had said, Hey, why don't I just come running? Why don't, you know, why don't we just run together? And I'm like, okay. And I'd never done a race. So we decided we would do a 5k and then a 5k turned into a triathlon and we did a half marathon. And so a year went by and lo and behold, we just became really good friends. And that's how it started. Did you, do you think you were like a bit timid at first, just because you had had a, like a, a recent divorce? And I think my guard was down at the time. Oh, I'm going to tell you all my secrets. But at the time I'd started doing a lot of internet dating. And so, you know, cause I got married pretty young. I got married to my first husband before I turned 20, but before I turned 21 and we had been married for about nine years. And soon after we got married, it was during college. And then I had two more years of college and I went away to medical school and then had medical school and finished medical school and then started residency and finished residency. And so I never, I was never really, you know, young and free and dated a bunch and all of that. And so I think once I got divorced, I started to do that. And, and Eric was my trainer. And so he got to hear a lot about the people that I was meeting and people I was going out with. And he would always tell me, he sounds like a loser. <laughs> oh my gosh, you confided in him all of your dates. Yeah, not all of them, but you know, we would talk about stuff and, you know, I would tell him what, what I had going on. And then, and so he must have known or tried to like inch his way in there somehow. Or I guess, I guess you said you, you just became really good friends, right? Yeah, we became really good friends. We started just doing a bunch of different stuff. Like as we were training for all of those events, we ended up spending more and more time together. And then we ended up having some friends in common. And all of my friends, not all of them, but most of my friends really, really liked him. And they would say, what about Eric? Why don't you date Eric? I'm like, no, he's not my type. So what was it? What was it about him that wasn't your type? Well, I think my first husband was a little intimidated by my profession. 
And he, I don't know that he was intimidated. He was just, I just didn't feel like we were on the same level. And I know that that sounds really snotty and I'm not trying to be snotty and I'm usually not, not snotty at all. And so I think in my mind, I had this picture of what my second husband would look like. And I thought he, he would be a career professional. He would be, you know, have an MBA or be a CEO or do, you know, something along those lines or a physician. I think I really, I was really thinking that his salary would be really close to mine. And so in my mind with my box, I mean, he just really didn't fit that box. You had a vision of how it would go better, right? If it, if he wasn't like your ex-husband. Exactly. Like if round two, if I got to pick round two, that round two needed to be a whole lot different than round one. Because round one didn't really understand me being on call and, you know, all the sacrifices that I was making. He sort of saw that as something that I was doing for myself when I wasn't. Because I did, we ended up having a baby third year of medical school. So my... My oldest son is 23. And so we had him third year of medical school. So as if being married and being a resident wasn't hard enough, then third year we had, we had our son. So it was just a really trying time. So what do you think you learned? Like, how, how did you know that he wasn't the, the guy for you anymore? I felt so alone and I was working really, really hard and the communication just wasn't there. And it was, and it was almost like, he was doing me a favor when he took care of our son or when he did different, different things. And it was just, I mean, I really learned that what a hard worker I was because I just kept going. It was just like, okay, this is what I've got to do. And I really felt like with all of the challenges of being a resident, you know, one of the biggest things that I did for myself was to hire a nanny. So I had a nanny with my oldest son and an intern year. She was just a lifesaver because she did everything for, for, for him, for, for, for our son, you know, granted, but the majority of my salary went to her, but it was just such a blessing to have her, to be able to support him and me, you know, and, and not really have to worry about the baby being taken care of. Cause back then that was before duty hour. So we would be on call every fourth night and you pretty much got no sleep. I remember coming home after being up all night, wouldn't get home till five or six, would come home, feed the baby, get him his bath, get my bath, and we'd both go to sleep. Wow. I cannot imagine. I mean, I I wasn't married till after residency, so we, we waited till after fellowship to have babies. But yeah, I cannot, I still don't understand how people do it during training. I was so focused on my training. I just, I mean, I think you just, you do what life throws at you or what gives you, right? But I just, I just can't imagine. To me, it seems so, so impossible. But yeah, the nanny, nanny's, nanny's, nanny's my like secondhand person in my life. I love my nanny. And then, so what advice would you give? Cause I, there are several people, right? Who are always posting or reach out, reaching out to me on different um, online forums where they feel stuck, like in their relationship. They've been together for so many years. They've been trying for I don't know how long. They feel like they're just, their husband is not, or their wife is not not reciprocating, or they don't feel appreciated. Like, it's so hard. How do you know, right? Because you don't know unless you're in that relationship, right? And then, of course, you can get coaching, and you can improve yourself, and you can improve the relationship. But how do you know? Like, how do you know when it's 
when it's time to stop trying. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I would have known. I don't, I mean, I think I would have continued to sort of beat my head against that wall just because I had made a commitment and I had a child and the thought of being divorced when my parents weren't divorced, his parents weren't divorced. So I didn't really know what that would look like. And to me, it really seemed like it would be, it wasn't what I signed up for. And, you know, with that arrival fallacy, I kept thinking, okay, look, I'm almost there. We're almost at the end, you know, residency's almost done. And it turned out we got divorced the last year of residency. I had just finished residency. And it was really, you know, he was, he was ready to move on. And he said, well, that's fine. I can, I can continue to live this way. And, and that's it, something just sort of clicked in me that I was just like, you know what, this, you don't have to sacrifice. If this isn't what you want, then I'm good. And I remember we were on this, we had gone skiing and we were on this ski lift and we were going up and it was almost like a movie. Like I looked around and everybody looked so happy with their kids. You know, you're skiing. It's supposed to be a great time. And I remember looking over beside me and our son being between us and just knowing in my heart that we just didn't have that kind of relationship, that his time had gone on. So I was in college and then I moved an hour away have the to to go to medical school two hours away excuse me so he stayed where we were living and then I then I moved and we would only see each other on the weekends which ended up working out pretty well and then third year ended up getting pregnant it was kind of an uh uh-oh it was it wasn't my planning but it definitely was God's timing and the thought of having to take my kid to daycare or to do something like that and I couldn't afford a nanny and magically, his mom had said, well, I'll just move and come to school with you Monday through Friday. And then my mom said, well, then I'll do that too. So we that's what we did is that they would take turns. My mom would come for a week and his mom would come for a week and then we would come home on the weekend. So normally they would drive down on like Monday and they, we, they would stay Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They would leave Friday morning and then I would come home after classes on Friday. And we just made it work somehow. So it ended up being a really good time to have a baby because I really, they really got, got a chance, had a chance to take care of, of, of Wesley. And then, and of course, I think God gives you what you need because he was just such a great kid. I mean, he was easygoing and it, he still has that same personality where he could just entertain himself and would just, you would, it didn't matter when you put him in the car for a two hour ride. He was happy as could be. He would nap and then he'd wake up and he'd be fine. Whereas my second child, I mean, that would be crazy. My second child, he would be kicking and screaming the whole entire time for two hours. So, yep, I can see, I can see that. I, I, I had, I had a first child who vomited everywhere we went. So, <laughs> okay, so, so it was God's timing, and then, and tell us what your current marriage is like, and how it, how it works. How it works. Okay, so, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was really interesting because, you know, I think our relationship started as like a fairy tale, really, because we had become such good friends and everybody would tell me, hey, you need to date him. I was like, no, he's really not that into me. And then one night I had I was in my wild phase and I had just bought this brand new sports car. It was an Audi TT. I don't you probably don't even know what that is, but it's a little sports car. I had a minivan (laughs) and then I bought my second car, which was this little sports car. 
And I remember that day as if it was yesterday, a girlfriend of mine had bought this condo in Midtown, which was just absolutely beautiful. It was hip and trendy. It was these women that were all 30 something professionals. You know, we were, they had invited me to come over to have this house. Well, I went, I hadn't had anything to eat all day and they were having all these signature drinks. And the next thing you know, I was just toasted. I mean, it was just, I was like, oh no, there's no way I can drive home. And then my new car and all of that. And so I was dating a guy at the time and I called him and he, and it was like two o'clock in the morning or so. And he said, no, I, just get a cab. I can't come get you. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. And then I thought of Eric because he and I had gone shopping that day. We had gone looking for furniture. And so I, I called him. Of course, we, I don't even know that we had texting back then. I called him and he picked up the phone second ring. Stay right there. I'll be right there. Two o'clock in the morning, jumped up, came down there, went. He's like, where's your car? He went, moved my car, made sure it was safe, drove me home. And we got home. And as soon as we came in, we were talking. We had sat there and we were talking and we kissed and it was magical. And I'm sitting here thinking, what in the world? No, this is just alcohol talking. No, it, to, he ended up he ended up tucking me in and then he left. And the next morning it was like, what did I just do? This is crazy. No, this isn't going to work. So of course he calls me and says, Hey, we need to go get your car. And I said, okay. So of course he asked me, where does this leave us? And I was just like, ah, no. I said, you know what? No, we're so much better friends. This is never going to work. So I told him about my male avatar, right? It's like, no, this is, this isn't what I'm looking for, blah, blah, blah. And he says, okay. And so he leaves and goes along his merry way. And then at the time I was in academics, I was working for the program where I had graduated. They hired me on as an attending. And so I was in my academic office and he knew that I had, you know, paperwork that morning or whatever. I had office hours. So I was doing my office hours and I hear a knock at the door. I'm like, that's kind of weird. Okay. So I go open it and it's him. And he said, okay, well, you've got to hear me out. You're completely wrong. He's like, Melanie, you don't need someone who makes the same amount as you. You need someone that's going to take care of you and your son. He's like, you have no clue. I'm a caretaker. I'm a supporter. He's like, you know, you need someone who's going to be your partner, who's going to be your friend. And y'all could, you know, where we, we could have fun together. And I have no problem supporting you. And I was just like, what? I was like, no. This, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. And so he said, he said, OK, well, I just want you to hear me out. I don't I'm not going to take that. You know, I didn't want to just walk away just saying no. So I was just like, hmm, OK. So he goes, yes, it really was. It was absolutely like a movie. And so he I said, OK, I said, well, I'm going to think about it. And he said, OK. And so then he walks over to me and he says, and before I go, you have to kiss me again. I have to kiss you again. And I was just because I still remembered the kiss and I thought, nah. And I said, OK. And it was, it was just fireworks and butterflies and rainbows and daisies. And it was crazy. So he walked out of my office. I was weak kneed and I'm like, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Yeah, you were totally falling in love because your Prince Charming had arrived and you like had a blindfold on the whole time. The whole time, the absolute whole time. So Fast forward, we were we were inseparable. He proposed within six weeks. Within six months, we were married. And my brother was just like, what? This is crazy. What's his social security number? And I said, why? He goes, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run a, a, a background check on it. I'm like, David, you don't need to do that. He said, no, really. And so I said, fine, I'll ask him. 
I said, hey, can I have your social security number? So he gave it to me. And he knows now that, and so my brother went and ran a background check on him and said, okay, well, everything's checking out. And he was right. He made so many promises to me and he kept them all. So soon after that, we, we were married for about two years before we had another baby. But after the baby was born, he quit working and he stayed home and he was home for about 10 years. He initial plan was going to be just four years, five years. And it just kind of went on. And yeah, he was, he's been my biggest cheerleader. I always, he's kind of like my Marty, you know, he's, he does everything. I should have known when he said, can I bring my washer and dryer? <laughs> you know? when we got married because he really is a caregiver very much a caregiver this just proves that what the love stories that happen in the movies they can happen in real life but you just don't always realize it because you're the one in your life and you're not the one watching it yeah it can happen it can happen and so 17 years later or even so well you mentioned that okay so he stayed home and took care of your son for the first 10 years did that cause any tension was there any resentment from him no, not from him. I would say that for the first, so my son was about six, right? So he's got a stepson. So he was living, of course, with us. And then we had another, so the age difference is about nine years between the two of them. So yeah, he was Mr. Mom. He, he does all, did all the cooking, all the cleaning, take everybody to school. We did all sports practices, did all the homework, all of those things. We did several things that helped, you know, for a while there, we ended up moving out of Atlanta to an hour north to a small rural town where I was super busy. I did inpatient and out, outpatient medicine and worked really long hours and was on call in the, on the weekends and everything. So oftentimes when I would get home, he would hand me the baby, right? So here I am, I'd walk in and he'd hand me the baby. I'm like, what? No, wait a minute. You've got to give me a second. Of course, he'd been at home all day with the baby. So we, we, we learned early on, we ended up hiring a babysitter that would come and she would offset us for, from like five until seven, five until eight. And she, on those two nights, she would feed the baby. She would get him ready for bed, everything. By the time we got home, he was ready to go. We would spend some time reading or doing whatever. And then I'd put him to bed, but that was supposed to be our our working out time, but it ended up, we'd usually go eat or go do something fun just two, two nights a week. And it was just perfect. Yes. I think a lot of people don't feel like they, they can afford that, or maybe that they don't want it. They feel guilty about that. That's what you and your relationship needed. And you as a person needed. And then let's talk about your mother a little bit too, because I know you've mentioned before that that's another relationship that really has evolved over your lifetime for the good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, I discovered coaching about three years ago and three years ago I was pretty burned out and just really overworking and spending way too much time at work and, you know, spending a lot of time documenting and being behind. And on the weekends, I would work another two to four hours and uh, found coaching and through coaching, my relationship with my mom has just really come a long way. My mom and I had really not seen eye to eye. My mom is a very poorly controlled diabetic. She's very, I don't know how to explain it. She's very sort of anti-Western medicine. And I took that very personally for a long time. We really didn't get along very well. I was very resentful of her and was really angry. And our relationship was, was really toxic. I mean, even to the point where I kind of thought, does she have some kind of personality disorder? And I was putting all of this off on her. 
And I think a lot of it was just feeling rejected because she didn't accept medicine and the fact that she was so anti-medicine and would it wasn't controlling her diabetes. And through coaching, I really found a way to accept her for who she is. And the more I started accepting her, yeah, it was just absolutely beautiful. The more I started accepting her, I realized that I started accepting myself and started to realize that that yeah, that my mom is very dynamic and that she is human, just like me with likes and dislikes. And that I didn't have to like everything about her, just like she didn't have to like everything about me, but I could still love her and accept her just as she is. So our relationship started to change. And now we have a really good relationship. I can call her and not get super annoyed. She still is allowed to be her and I'm allowed to be me. And now I have a voice because before I was very much a people pleaser. And in my mind, she would say stuff and I'd be like, why would she say that to me? That's ridiculous. But, you know, all that internal head drama. And But I would never vocalize it on the outside. And now I have sort of found my voice and I'll tell her what I think. And if and then she has an opportunity to either react or, or not react to what I have to say. Well, I think that's really hard. I mean, for any of us physicians, when somebody doesn't value or accept what we do as a career, as our as our life mission, that is hard to swallow. So I, I commend you because that's that's amazing. I mean, she, of course, she's your mother. She, you know, and there's like a component of unconditional love there. What did she think when you went to medical school? Or how did that, did is that where the conflict started or... No, I mean, I think it was just, yeah, I, there was never really any outward conflict. I think I created the conflict thinking that she should be different than she is, right? That she should control her diabetes, that she should do something about it instead of, you know, if somebody were to tell her, hey, go take cinnamon and some garlic and make a tea out of it, and she'll be all about that. But if you were to suggest a pill, she would be, oh, no, uh-uh, that's, you know, this is an emotional problem. No, I don't need to do that, you know? And certain cultures, that's what they do. I mean, they make they make stews and remedies from onions or certain. My parents are aging and I'm so thankful because I have my mom back. I feel like I didn't have her in my life. I mean, yeah, we would talk, but, you know, it's that superficial, you know, hey, hey, how are you doing? And, and I would wonder when they would come visit why she would only stay one night at my house. And now, you know, they can come and they, they'll stay with me for several weeks. And we have a grand old time. We've you know, we had sort of senior camp, not this year, of course, but last year they would come and, you know, I love to do road trips. And so today, so it'd be me and my mom and my dad, and we'd go to all these little small podunk towns in Georgia and um, just find fun stuff to do. And I, I'm really just in awe thinking, wow, I could have missed out on all of this if I would have held on to my righteousness. Yeah, because it was really your change. I mean, she's the same. She still probably does some of these remedies. It's really all your mindset that changed, right? And how you internalized what she said to you. It was really good learning, right? It was it was a big, huge learning opportunity for me to be able to, number one, not take things personally, you know, because I would find myself just kind of, you know, just feel on the inside, just feeling like I was on fire. You know, it's like, okay, why are you why are you taking any of what she's saying personally? And then don't make assumptions, right? Because the old old me would have always made it be something about me and made some kind of assumption about what she's saying. And so I've really learned to drop into curiosity with her and to ask her really, you know, engaging questions as to instead of making assumptions. And it has, it's been super, super helpful. I feel like, you know, it's given me my mom back and a relationship with my mom. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's beautiful. 
Do you think some of her beliefs in her uh, alternative medicine comes from your culture, coming from Colombia? Um, I don't think so. I think she had a period in her life where things, you know, where she had raised her family and everybody was gone and she was looking for something to fill her. And I think that's when she found this, this religious sect that she really identified with. And, you know, none of us belong to it and it's just her thing, you know? And, um, I think she found understanding and friends and support and yeah. So I'm not really, I'm not really sure where it all comes from. I've, I've kind of quit questioning it and just accept that it is what it is. Yeah. doesn't matter because you have a beautiful relationship with her now. So yeah. And she can still, she can still go and do all that if she wants to do it or if, or if not. Yeah. And, and, and also, so um, now that we tell us a little bit about how has being a Latina physician affected your journey at all or childhood? I mean, childhood, med- how did it affect any, any part of your life? Yeah, I think first off, I think for the listeners, if you you probably can't see me, but I'm very white passing, right? So usually, unless I told somebody that I was Hispanic, you know, no, people just really don't know. I mean, I definitely think it's helped me. It's helped me understand other, other cultures. I still do speak Spanish fluently. So I think it's given me some insight to the dynamics of a different culture. And it's always been sort of a little bit of a plus, you know, my current practice, I probably have about 15% of my patients are Hispanic. And, and I think about how it's affected me. I think I'm super resourceful, you know, growing up, we were first generation immigrants, you know, we lived in apartments until I was like in seventh grade. And my, I remember we would rarely ever go out to eat, you know, it's like going to Burger King was a big deal growing up. And my dad really valued education. We ended up moving to the state for my dad to go to school. And at the time they were, they were giving, yeah, they were giving out green cards pretty freely because they wanted people to come and get educated. And so once he got here, he, he was working on an MBA, he was working on his master's and he, I think he realized what a goldmine it was and how, how much opportunity was here. So he decided to stay and just, we were he just really had a, a big emphasis on education. I remember when school would come around, it was, you know, you could get, you could spend as much as I wanted on school supplies, right? Even though we had limited money for clothing, but school supplies like the latest Trapper Keeper and pens. And I got a lot of external validation, you know, when we realized that I was going to, you know, that had scored really well on, on exams. And it wasn't until I was ninth, in ninth grade that I had um, a high school teacher want me to be tested to be to see if I was gifted. So I think that, you know, my parents, if you imagine when you have first generation immigrants, when the parents come to school and the kids are translating, that was me, right? And so they didn't really know it if it wouldn't have been for that teacher, who knows? I mean, they tested me and they she's like, Oh yeah, you're gifted. We need to put you in all the honors classes. And I really think that's why I ended up where I am today. Yeah. This is why teachers are so important. And I know, okay, I, I know uh, we've briefly, before we started, we talked about some of your new goals for this year. Do you want to share like some of your new, your new 2021 millennial goals? Yeah. So I've got a lot of things that I'm working on. I'm getting my coaching practice off the ground and I'm also, you know, in starting this new company, learning a lot about finances and my personal finance 
has just been something that I've delegated to my husband, you know, thinking that he takes care of most everything. You know, we have one checking account. I think, you know, I, I know that I've heard some of your other podcasts and how you guys talk about that, but we've always had one big pot. And to me, it just felt really exhausting to be the primary breadwinner. And so I feel like, okay, that's my contribution. And I've kind of just left it at that until recently. Recently, I'm like, okay, I really need to look to see, you know, I've told my husband that he and I have talked about it extensively. I'm like, look, I want to travel the world. I want to make sure that when it's time to retire that we, you know, have enough. So he keeps telling me that we're all set and we've got a financial advisor that we meet with. And, you know, he shows me, you know, the bottom number at the end of every year. But this year, actually on, on Friday, I'm going to go meet with him to hopefully start that journey a little bit, you know, more in detail so that I'm not on the periphery so that I can get out of my shame. Ah, that's wonderful. So you can see where everything is going and coming and feel maybe just a little bit more in the know about, about it all. And then once you kind of figure out where everything is going and coming, then and yeah, you can start, you can plan for retirement, talk about your number goals and unless that's what your husband does. Is that what your husband does for you? Yeah. I mean, he, yes, he, he has been, but you know, it's one of those things and I, maybe it's just being a woman physician that I kind of felt like that's sort of his jurisdiction. And I know that's so old fashioned, you know? But I and and it's like the more I would ask about it, the more I was just like, you know, I don't need something else to take care of. You know, it's like I've got enough on my plate. But yeah, so he has he and I, we had started talking about that, that he did has ended up going back to work and he's been back at work now for for several years. And and I think we don't realize how hard it is when you've been out of the workplace. We know we never anticipated that as a hurdle. We thought, oh, it'll be easy. You know, he'll be at home with the kids for, you know, three, four or five years. And then, and then he'll get back in the workforce and, and it, it'll be real easy. And it wasn't, it was really hard to get him to the point where he could fi figure out what his next step was. Cause if you could imagine he was in uh, personal fitness, he, his degree was in exercise physiology. And so we had moved cities and the city where we were living that wasn't really a a job that brought in very much money. Whereas in Atlanta, it was a pretty high dollar job, but where we moved to, it wasn't. And then the hours were usually after work, right? And and on weekends, which is not what didn't work out for our family. Wow. So this is, year is going to be your year. 2021 is going to be Melanie's year for getting her coaching off the ground and, and figuring out her financials. So that's exciting. And you just said it. So now it's going to happen. Is there, are there any... Any stories you, you want to tell our audience to leave them with? Any stories, take-home points, anything we did not cover in regards to medicine, which we always briefly cover on this podcast, very briefly, or marriage, which is the meat of our story, or, or money? What do you want our audience to walk away thinking? Yeah, you know, one thing I've been really reflecting a lot on is I'm working on this talk for the residents where I am. And really learning a lot about imposter syndrome and really realizing as I've coached in 2020, I've coached about 200 physicians and it keeps coming up over and over again. And I'm just really amazed at how pervasive it is. You know, I always suffered with it and always felt like I was, I had always had had this overachiever in me. 
in everything I do, you know, as I'm as I'm reflecting back on preparing this talk, I'm realizing, yeah, I am a really an overachiever. I was thinking back to my hobbies. I used to play tennis before my my son plays baseball pretty competitively. So my weekends are pretty much taken up with with baseball. But before he started playing, I was playing tennis. And not only did I play, but I was the captain of the team. So I organized all of it. And on top of that, had two young kids and was a physician. And that's just sort of true and true for everything. When I look at my coaching practice, again, the overachiever, all these physicians that I've coached and gotten involved in multiple different coaching circles and now that I'm learning about imposter syndrome and, and, and sort of recovering from that, I'm realizing that that's just sort of my, my way of self-sabotaging is this, is this overachiever and really trying to dial it back. I think getting to know yourself, and, I, and that's kind of where I was going with it, is that the more I get to know myself, the more my past just seems so obvious. So obvious to me. So I think about when I started off in education, when I started off in my career, I got, they had asked me to stay and in, in to be an attending where, where I trained. And I remember just feeling so overwhelmed all the time. And I realized that I never really thought that I deserved it. And I ended up getting this award of physician of the quarter. And I remember I was the first woman on this wall. There was this huge wall with all these pictures. And when they put my picture up there, I thought, Ah, they just they just gave it to me just because they wanted a woman up there, you know, and it's like now all these years later, I mean, I've been out for 20 years now. And that was probably, I don't know, 14 years ago is that I'm really starting to look back and can really see how that's played out in my life. Yeah. So I think the more I get to know myself, the more like love and understanding I'm I'm able to create for myself. That's beautiful. Yeah. Love and understanding that goes along with like having compassion for yourself too. Right. So yeah, so many of my listeners are probably super overachievers. And when you're an overachiever, when is it ever enough? Right. Yeah. So I was, that's one of the things I've been thinking about. Cause I look back, I think, okay, so this is my fifth podcast that I've been on. And I organized the physician work group at work. I've done so many things. And, you know, tonight I was telling my husband, I'm like, now remind me again, why did I decide I wanted to add coaching? Because I don't, don't know if you know this, but I work full time. So it's not like this is my side gig that has turned into about 15 to 20 hours of extra work, but it doesn't feel like work, actually. I really honestly love it. I'm super curious and I absolutely love connecting with all these people around the US, but thinking about all of, yeah, well, 200 sessions. So I don't know that they were all, yeah, look, my brain's kind of going, no, wait a minute, back up, yeah. Yeah, I've had about, yeah, if we look, yeah, it, it was, it ends up being between 150 and 200, yeah, yeah. And I graduated from life coach school in September. So it's been, it's just, and then all of the, the collateral, right? I mean, all of the, extra stuff that I've done on top of it, because it was, it's just been a lot. And so as I look back, and I'm preparing this lecture, I'm going, Oh, my gosh, I'm still doing it, you know, and I don't know that I'm looking for external validation. But it really is. It's like that achievement. It's like a dopamine hit to my brain. And it just feels so ing incredibly good. And, and realizing that that's, the same thing that I kind of have to get under wraps is to make sure that I'm, you know, keeping all of that in check. 
No, exactly. I 100% agree with that. So many of us were we're wives, we're moms, we're doctors. We want to do everything else too. I mean, we all, I mean, to have some of us want to be able to keep the house and be an Instagram mom or what is it? Pinterest, a Pinterest mom and cook and everything, wear all the hats. And oh, it's just when you do everything, it can, <laughs> and then, and then start talking about everything you, you want to do, right? We just need to celebrate. Look at all the things you have done. Write down all the things you have already achieved. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if I look back to Melanie and I got this from Christina Arnold, I don't, her podcast is really good as well. Um, but on, but she talks about Christina 1.0 and Christina 2.0. And I go back and I say, you know, Melanie 1.0 was burned out and she was 80 pounds overweight and she was working like 10 to 12 hours every day. And then on the weekends, I was working two to four hours. And this was just to keep my notes up, right? This was just to try to get all of my work done. And look, Melanie's still doing it. And it's not with her. Now, I I, I sort of, I feel like a cartoon character because I do feel like I waltz into my clinic kind of skipping and really feeling on top of my work 15 minutes before it starts. I feel like I'm able to take care of so much work, just so efficiently get my notes closed and really feel connected to my patients and really feel like I'm doing just a really good job. And I can leave about 15 minutes after the day's over. And it's almost, you know, like the sense of satisfaction. But now it's like, instead of spending all of that extra time at work, now I'm doing my side gig. Now I'm, I'm coaching, you know, physicians and being involved in learning and yeah, it's just really interesting as, as I look at it. Definitely, I choose the discomfort of all the growth that I've had versus the discomfort of being so stuck like I was three years ago. But it is it is kind of fun to see. Ah, I like that. Okay, so even though you're still uncomfortable, you choose the discomfort of growth instead of the discomfort of stuck because it's both, like they're both hard. It can be hard to be in both situations and you're just choosing yeah, which hard you, you want and you're you want the growth the growth hard not the stuck hard yeah not the stuck hard and to the and to really be purposeful about it and really say oh okay yeah you really need to back off here you, you know right it's like yeah okay so really setting some limits and having other goals and um, really checking in with myself as to, as to what my motivation is is my motivation is striving and a wanting to be better than I am or is it is it coming from from a good place from a curious place curiosity yeah whenever I'm feeling stuck or angry or sad or whatever I just yeah can I just be more curious and then I think that puts me in a better place well thank you for those closing thoughts those were that was a lot and those were wonderful I loved it and thanks for so much for sharing your past relationships your current relationships with your husband and your in your mother and just thank you so much for coming on Dr. Melanie Argo. Oh, and one last thing. Remember, doc-to-doc lending. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you need quick and simple access to cash and are looking for physician-preferred rates, be sure to reach out to doc-to-doc lending at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash doc-to-doc. so beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Maleni. Okay. So for my three big take-home points from Dr. Argo, number one, 
Sometimes we fall in love with someone we would never expect. If we are constantly looking for a certain type of person, we may miss the love of our life standing directly in front of our eyes. And maybe they already are. Maybe we're already married to them. Let's go check. Number two, asking ourselves, why would he or she say that to me? Is not a helpful question. Instead, next time our spouse or our in-law or our friend says words to us like, you shouldn't have said that. I wish you wouldn't have said that. Why did you do that? Are you serious? Let's ask ourselves instead of, why would they say that to me? Instead of that, let's ask ourselves, what do I want to make those words mean to me right now? Number three, making assumptions about what other people are thinking is dangerous. And then making assumptions about what other people are feeling is also dangerous. And then making assumptions about our fabricated thoughts about what other people are thinking and feeling, making that mean something about us is the most dangerous of all. So next time we catch ourselves in this funny mind drama of making other people's thoughts and feelings about us that we already made up, let's ask, Would we rather spend our time and energy focusing on what we think it means about us, someone else's thoughts and feelings, which we have no control over and are making assumptions over? Or would we rather be spending our time and energy focusing on our own thoughts and feelings, which we do have control over those? And that is it, my friends. Thank you so much. Go fly away. Spread these beautiful messages into the world. Please share this episode with somebody who needs to hear it. Leave me a review. I love you guys so much. If you are sad you missed out on my group coaching launch, which started last week, reach out to me. I still have a few one-on-one coaching spots uh, available. So I would love to still have you. I love making a difference in not only my life, but as many people's lives as I can. So please come find me. You know where to find the link, medicinemarriageandmoney.com. I hope you walk away asking yourself, how do I tell my love story? Is it a fairy tale? Or some kind of suspenseful drama, horror movie? Do I allow myself to love me every day? Do I give myself credit for how far I've come? What are my main sources of motivation? Are those external or internal? Am I choosing the discomfort of growth or the discomfort of being stuck? That is it. Much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.